At Sojourn, we believe wholeheartedly in church planting. We believe it is a powerful way to saturate our city with the loving and redeeming presence of God. And so I'm excited to have preaching today Raph Peters. Um, Raph is one of our church planting residents with Sojourn Houston. He's preparing to plant in the, the greater third ward area. Um, so if you have any questions about that, I'm sure he would love to discuss with you after the service today. Peace be with you. As Drew shared, my name is Raph Peters. I'm one of the church playing residents with Soldier in Houston. Uh, excited to be planning in the Greater Third Ward and all the Lord is doing in the neighborhood already uh, as we're a present witness there and as we hope to, to see that neighborhood saturated with the gospel due to our loving presence in that neighborhood. And I'm also excited to be with you guys this morning uh, for the first time to be with my Oak Forest family. Y'all are already family, even though y'all just got started because you are a part of Soldier. So I'm excited about uh, sharing from God's word today. Um, today, what we're doing is we're continuing this 13-week uh, sermon series through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. The Apostle John was likely an old man by the time he wrote these letters, and he writes as a spiritual father to an audience he repeatedly calls his little children. He informs his readers that they are living in the last hour, but by that, he does not mean that the physical universe is coming to an end. Rather, John is talking about the end of the old covenant world. There was a seismic shift taking place as the kingdom of God expanded beyond the borders of Israel, and the early Christians were facing persecution from the outside and division from the inside. And so John offers a number of different reminders and encouragement to these churches in crisis. And today, we land in 1 John 3, verses 11 through 24, where we will see in more detail, we will see uh, more practically what it means to abide or to be righteous. Coming off of what Marshall shared last week, hopefully we'll get a good idea of how we actually flesh that out. Uh, but before we pray, or before we start, let's pray. Father, we need you, and so grateful that we have the opportunity as your people uh, to come together, uh, to hear your word, uh, to confess sin, to be assured of pardon, to worship a holy God, to hear your word. Father, all of these are means and measures of your grace that we get to experience today. And Father, I pray for those that are in this room, no matter where they are, whether in relationship with you or not. Father, that you meet with us, that you speak to us, that you open our eyes to see the wonder, the, the beauty, the treasure that you hold supremely through Christ. Father, will you soften our hearts for your word? God, will you captivate us by your word? And Lord, will you do what you can only do? Use my little for your glory and speak to your people today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd like to read this passage one more time for our good and our attention, and it's just always good to hear the word of the Lord, and hopefully this is what speaks to you throughout today. Verse 11, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. 
Do not be surprised. Brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we are to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Because we keep his commandments. And does what, and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he commanded us. Last verse. Whoever keeps his commandment abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. I think it's good for us today in light of this passage to ask a few questions to help us have a healthy framework for what righteousness or abiding in Christ is practically according to John. Questions that may be simple, like what is righteousness? What is not righteousness? What is the example of righteousness and how do we live in light of that example? First question, what is righteousness? We see John is straightforward in verse 11. He says, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. Whether from the beginning of you receiving Christ or the beginning of the the created world as we see the Old Testament and the Old Covenant. And we know now of this new covenant of Jesus. We see that we have been called to love one another. So John says that we are called to love one another. Specifically here, though, for John, as we know of the context, we know that he's talking to people to love those who are called sons and daughters of God, to love those of the household of faith. And for John's readers, they would be called to love each other despite what we talked about, some of the persecution that was happening on the outside and despite some of the division that was happening on the inside. John communicates that in our love for one another, we show that one's behavior is a measure. Make sure we get that. It's a measure of one's spiritual status because it says something. What we are is evident in what we do. We as the people of God cannot say that we love God or we believe in God, but we hate his people. Or more generally speaking, we just hate people. As the people of God, we are defined by our love. Especially in times where division within the church seeks to destroy the church 
and the outward influences of the outward world, the carnal world, the sin-broken world, seeks to break, break the church and destroy the church. It is good for us to note that in moments of crisis and persecution, we have an opportunity as the people of God. We have an opportunity to live in a way that is antithetical to how the world would respond to persecution and crisis. A way of living that would fuel curiosity and ultimately present gospel opportunity for us. Because our love for one another can produce that type of gospel opportunity. Love for our brothers and sisters here is so vital that Christ even speaks of it in John 13. He says of the new commandment, a new commandment I give to you, verse 34, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know. They will know that you are my disciples if you have love. So love is so paramount in the life of the believer that our love expresses and is a sign of our relationship to God. John moves from sharing what is righteousness to love one another to what is not righteous by giving us an example of Cain in verse 12. We should not be like Cain, pretty clear, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. To note, to not love those who are of the household of faith based on this example would mirror and be of the likeness or equivalent to Cain's hatred of his brother, which led to murder. And why did he murder him? Because of his righteousness. So Cain is the example we are given to not follow and is also stated that in the same way that his brother Abel received opposition or hatred through his brother and it led to murder, the same will be so for the people of God. We will also receive opposition. So we shouldn't be surprised that the world hates us in the same way and that we experience opposition. Verse 13, do not be surprised that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life. We know this because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. So the truth here that, that John is trying to give us will serve as a guide for his audience and for us. As we encounter at some point the tension and persecution and crisis of this broken world, it should anchor us. It should help us to have proper perspective when we experience this tension. What we will find at the core of this opposition that we face due to our love is that the world hates because of the sin that began at the fall, that began in Genesis 3. And as a result of that sin, and a result of sin in general, those who have not believed in Christ are not accepted by God. No matter all their attempts, no matter the world's attempts to try to find righteousness and acceptance, if it's anywhere apart from Christ, the news is that it won't be accepted by God. 
the sacrifices that the world attempts to give will not be pleasing to the Lord and seen as sufficient. And here's the rub. The tension of our lives as we live as examples and models of Christ's truth in his life is that what our lives and our love for one another does is it exposes the insufficiency of the hearts of those not of the faith. Our love is like a laser that points to others to show that there is a need for God. And we have hope. According to John, because we have passed out of death into life as a result of Christ. And it's seen through the fruit and the love that we have for one another. This fruit and this love reveals that we abide in Christ. And not as Cain did who would abide in death. It's clear who we belong to, people of God, when we love. And clear who we belong to when we do not. Verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Hate here is placed in the same category as murder because it is not only our outward actions that condemn us guilty, but our inward desires. Moving on, John then gives us an example in contrast to the example of Cain by sharing of Christ and how we know love in verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we are to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. The love that John is calling us to in this passage is no ordinary love. It's intentional. It's sincere. It's sensitive. It's Christ-centered. It's self-sacrificial. And this type of love is what we're called to have for one another that we give up our lives for one another as Christ has given up his life for us. It should mirror and imitate as well how the early church loved. If we know of the early church's example of this type of love, we see in Acts 2, verse 44 through 47, it says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So the question How do we live in light of Christ's example? The answer, we love. But more specifically, (laughs) we live generously and sacrificially for the interest of others and for the glory of God. This mirrors the early church and most importantly, it mirrors Christ himself. As Christ lived not for the interest of others or himself, but for the interest of the world so that all could be saved and the Father could be glorified. 
Paul, in his letter to the church in Philippi, helps us to see how Christ would serve us in love. In Philippians 2, verse 5, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, obedient to the point of death on the cross. The example of Christ, what it reveals as we hear this word is that we are not to only talk of love, but to have radical expressions of it. What is a radical expression of love for us today? I believe that we, as the people of God, should ask some questions. How can we be the expression of God's love each day and seek to answer that question? In what ways can we live generously and sacrificially for others in our families, for others in our parishes, and for others in our city? In what ways can we use our money, our time, and our talents to serve these different categories? Would you for me in this moment stop and consider for a moment what a radical expression of love can look like? As you think of that, let me ask you this. Is it defined by selflessness? Is it sacrificial? Does it require you to lose something as you think of what it would mean to show a a radical expression of Christ's love? Or as you think about it and you think about your life, does it reveal or is it based on words alone and empty? For many of us today, a radical expression of love can be serving the people in our parishes who share needs that we can feel. Coming together to help pay bills that can't be paid due to lack of funds or a loss of job. Or maybe it is to help a single mom or a large family who lacks the time and energy to do it themselves because of the number of kids and the list of other things to do. Maybe for some of you who are familiar with this, Maybe it's to walk with a family who is adopted or fostering a child and choosing to be an advocate and support. Learning how to best care for that family and understanding the reality and unique reality of fostering and adoption. Radical expressions of love that could be shown also through learning the needs of your neighborhood in your parish and seeing the ways that your peers can meet them. Or, may I suggest this as a church planner that desires to plant in the city of Houston, maybe a way that you could love, and love me, is through giving financially to our church plant, who's planning to plant in the greater third ward, and seeking the welfare of our neighborhood, and hoping that that neighborhood be saturated with the gospel, Maybe that's a part that you play in seeing the welfare of the city met. As we answer these questions of how we can express the love of God, 
we will see the radical love that we have establishes the will and glory of God. Augustine says of loving others, what, what does love look like? Or Augustine, I'm sorry, I always say Augustine for whatever reason. Augustine, what does love look like? It has the hands to help others. It has the feet to hasten or hasten to the poor and needy. It has eyes to see misery and want. It has ears to hear the sighs and sorrows of men. That is what love looks like. Going back to Philippians, uh, verses 3 through 4 in chapter 2, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. And what we find as we love like this, in this love, according to John in this passage, we have confidence and assurance. John goes on in verses 19 through 24 with this thought of how our love actually helps us to have confidence and assurance in God. He says, verse 19, by this, our love, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. Verse 24, whoever keeps his commandment to love God and one another abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Our ability to love like Christ, to give of ourselves for others is only possible. It is only possible through the power of the spirit. We cannot love in this radical way without God's help. Without the spirit of God who is producing in us God-like characteristics and making us more like him daily. It is true that we will find at moments that we are like Cain, looking out for ourselves by choosing selfish desires over God. But as we become increasingly aware of ourselves and our sin, may we repent and believe. May we ask the Lord to help us to see the needs around us and lead us into making steps toward loving and serving others faithfully. May we experience the comfort and the assurance as we do these things and be reminded that we are his children and that Christ and God has given us everything that we need for life and for godliness. May we believe God in this. May we obey God and may we love the brother. Let us pray. Father, today it is your word that we need the most. It is your word, Father, that saves. It is your word that leads us, directs us. So, Father, my prayer is that you help us receive this word in First John. And as we receive this word, Father, may you help us to apply what it may mean to our lives. Not only to our lives individually, but to our lives as your people, collectively. Father, may you make us aware of the sin that is ever so present in our lives. And lead us, God, to repentance and faith. To turn and to pursue 
your love and fellowship with you. God, may we lay our lives down as you have laid your life down for us. And may we do this for the world to see. So that the world may see our radical expression of love through word and deed and be ever so changed by it. Father, will you captivate the hearts of those here present today and lead us, direct us, sanctify us, save us, bless us with this truth. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.